I invite you to please rise for the call to worship. My call to worship this morning is from Psalm 112, verses 6 through 8. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, how wonderful, how glorious, how mighty you are. You are our rock, our fortress, an ever-present help in trouble. Father, we pray that you'd enable us to give you all glory, to lift high your Son, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, give you all praise, glory, and honor. In Christ's glorious name, amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I invite you to sing with me number 216, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of Creation. Stop. 
dissident. For our time of confession and pardon, I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 6 and leading us in a prayer of confession and pronouncing the pardon, forgiveness, justification that is found in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Let us go, Lord, in prayer. Oh, Father, we thank you. How good, how gracious, how holy, how wonderful you are. What a caring, loving, perfect heavenly Father you are to all of your children. Adopted in your Son, Jesus Christ. Indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you that though we are weak, you are strong. And by your grace and mercy, we can be strong through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, through the person and work of your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us. Help us, O Lord. Father, again, we want to humble ourselves before you, to confess to you, those sins of thought, word, and action over this last week. Those times where where we believed more in the lies and deceptions of the world rather than your truth. So, Father, we confess these to you now in our hearts and in our minds. Ephesians 6.13 Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Know this, 
that if you trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord, your Savior, as the source of your righteousness, your holiness, if you've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, given the gifts of repentance and faith, know this, that you have been forgiven, that you are loved by your heavenly Father, that you have eternal life. In Christ's glorious name, amen. During our time of confession of faith, we are continuing through the cans of door. We are in the fifth main point of doctrine, the perseverance of the saints. And it's this section, whether it's Article 3, 4, 5, that speaks about what it means that we have been imputed with the righteousness of Christ, that we have been made holy as Christ is holy, yet on this fallen heaven and earth, in these perishable bodies, we continue to sin. We continue to fall short. That's what these articles are laying out for us. So I invite you to read with me Article 5, The Effects of Such Serious Sins. By such monstrous sins, however, they greatly offend God, deserve the sentence of death, grieve the Holy Spirit, suspend the exercise of faith, severely wound the conscious, and sometimes lose the awareness of grace for a time, until after they have returned to the way by genuine repentance, God's fatherly face again shines upon them. You see the reality of the grievous consequence of sin, yet in Christ there is forgiveness, there is sanctification. And God the Father continues to hold his children in his righteous right hand. That's where our comfort and our hope always is. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, you are holy, 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 majestic, worthy to be praised. You are the creator. Everything that has made, been made, you have made it. Oh, Father, your creation gives glory to your attributes so that no one is with excuse. Oh, Father, we pray that you would grow our understanding of your sovereignty, of your power, your majesty. Oh, Father, not only you are the creator, but you bring about redemption through your son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Oh, Father, we pray that your son, Jesus Christ, would be high and lifted up, that he would be exalted in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, that our eyes, our hearts and minds would be fixed on the glorious gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, ascended, interceding, and returning again. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us to think of things above and not be distracted, tripped up, hindered by the things of this world, by the lies and deceptions of the devil, 
and by the old rebellious desires of our old fallen flesh. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us. We thank you for the promise of your word for that you will continue to sanctify your children as we long for glorification. Oh, Father, we long for the return of your son, Jesus Christ, our most blessed hope to be raised with new resurrection bodies, to be in the new heaven and new earth, to have our eyes to see you, to see your son in the power of the spirit, to be with all of your children forever and ever. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more suffering. Oh, Father, we pray that this would be our most blessed hope, that this would be our greatest longing, passion, and desire. Oh, Father, we pray that you would, through this, help us to understand that this is not our home, that we are pilgrims, sojourners passing through. So, Father, we pray that you'd grow us in the reality that we have died and our life is Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd grow us in this reality. Oh, Lord, that you'd grow us in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, and patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd grow us in the fruit of the Spirit within our marriages, within our families, all the relationships, opportunities that you give us to interact with others. Oh, Father, we pray that we would shine the light of your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we pray that you would continue to save your elect of every tribe, nation, language. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd use us to shine the light of your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we pray for the lost. Oh, we cry out that you would give them eyes to see, that you would transfer them from the kingdom of Satan and of darkness and of death to the glorious kingdom of your Son, Jesus Christ, light and eternal life. So, Father, we pray that you would use us as ministers of reconciliation to lift up your gospel. Oh, Father, we pray for Reverend Mihai Korese in Romania. Father, we pray that you continue to strengthen, be with him and his wife, their son, be with their family. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd be with the church as it continues to grow, to reach out to the lost. Father, we pray that you'd strengthen them, be their peace and comfort in the midst of persecution, opposition. Oh, Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world, facing persecution, opposition, imprisonment, torture, and martyrdom as we worship here so freely. Oh, Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the Middle East, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Saudi Arabia. Oh, Father, we pray for the underground church in, in North Korea, in China. Oh, Father, that you would strengthen and guide your children there, even in the midst of losing their very lives. 
that their eyes would be fixed on you. Well, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us, be with our church. Father, we pray, we pray that you would help us to be united, of one heart, one mind, striving side by side for the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would help us to love one another, to forgive one another, to encourage, to rebuke, exhort, correct one another in your word with patience and love, building each other up into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us to be the body of your son, Jesus Christ, the household of God. Father, we pray that you'd help us to be the pillar and buttress of the truth, standing for the truth in the midst of the lies and deceptions of this world. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd continue to to strengthen and guide those who are in a time of need. Father, we do continue to pray for, for Ruth's mother as she continues in her cancer treatments. Father, we pray that you be her strength, her comfort. Father, we pray for Marcia. Oh, Lord, that you would be her strength, her peace, that you'd continue to hold her in your righteous right hand. Father, we do continue to Lift up to you, Deborah. Father, we pray for healing, for comfort, for strength for her. Oh, Father, we pray that you would just draw her ever closer to you, that you'd fix her eyes on your son, Jesus Christ, through this difficult time. And Father, we pray for our upcoming ministry programs, whether it be the kickoff of our Wednesday night family program or or Sunday school. Oh, Father, we pray for these opportunities. We pray for all the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Oh, Father, that they would know you, that they would love you, that they would serve you with their lives. Oh, Father, we thank you. It is because of your glorious grace that we say the prayer that our Savior tossed to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. as we continue going through 1 Thessalonians this morning, we are looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 17, all the way through chapter 3, verse 5. It's a more fitting unit to combine those two sections. So I invite you to please rise and read with me, starting at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. 
For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and to exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Your word is breathed out by you, living and active, all authoritative, all sufficient, inerrant, and infallible. Oh, Father, your word is our authority. Father, we pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you would continue to grow us in the faith, that you would give us wisdom and discernment so that we would know, speak, live accordingly to the truth. Your son, Jesus Christ, is truth. And to know the truth is to be set free. In Christ's glorious name. Amen. You may be seated. So I'd like to invite, if there are any children who would like to, to come forward for the children's message at this time. Good morning. Have you ever been near something that was very scary? What would you do if, say, you're walking in the woods and all of a sudden you saw a big snake? What would you do? Very good. So if you're, that's exactly, you're walking along and what? You see a big snake and what? You get away from it. Hey, you run away. That's smart. That's, that's, yeah, because it's dangerous. That's good. Well, in our passage of scripture, it talks about the church. We've been in the church in Thessalonica, and this church is facing a lot of very difficult things. People are being mean to them because they believe in Jesus. They're, they're saying mean things. They're trying to hurt them. There's all these things because they stand for Christ. And what the Apostle Paul says is when they're going through that, who is always there for them, to help them, to strengthen them? Jesus is. 
to go to Jesus, to pray to Jesus, to look to Jesus, no matter how scary or how painful or how difficult, to keep your eyes, keep your mind, keep your heart on Christ. So as we go through this passage, I want you to think about that, what it means to so trust Jesus that no matter what you're going through, that you're, you're, you're thinking of him, you're looking to him to help you at all times. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, helps all of your children. Father, we pray that you would help us, that you'd help us to have faith and trust in your son, Jesus Christ, at all times. In Christ's name, amen. Man, you guys head back to your seats. So we are continuing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul has been arguing their sincerity, their commissioning by Christ, the truth of the gospel that they have presented, and trying to encourage and build up the body of Christ in Thessalonica, trying to build up the body of Christ with the truth of Christ, with the promises in Christ, with the love of God, with the indwelling and power of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul keeps bringing up these themes because the world, the fallen systems and courses of this fallen world, the devil and the demonic keep trying to tear the church apart. At every point, in every way, trying to divide, to tear asunder the unity of the people of God. See, the Apostle Paul keeps fixing their eyes on Christ, fixing their hearts and minds on the truth of Christ in opposition to the lies of the devil and the lies of the world. Truth, truth, truth. That's where the Apostle Paul keeps sending them. The truth of God's word, the truth of his promises, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we see again here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 through 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 5. One of the things that's so striking in this passage is... The Apostle Paul teaches us a very vital reality of what should be our understanding of our local church community, of of the body of Christ, of the household of God that God has placed us to be as members of the body to encourage, support, and build each other up. And he models for us the vital importance of that. So we're going to start at verse 17, 1 Thessalonians 2, 17. This is where the Apostle Paul begins with this theme, verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for in a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. 
this torn away. That takes us back to Acts 17. Remember the nature of the relationship with the Apostle Paul. Uh, The Apostle Paul comes to Thessalonica. He presents the gospel. The people are brought to faith through the power working of the Holy Spirit. You see salvation take place and you see a church begin to be formed. And what immediately happens? That's Acts 17, verse 3. Acts 17, verse 3. This is how they were torn away. Acts 17, verse, sorry, verse 5. But the Jews were jealous. There it is. There's that wicked, God-opposing jealousy. This is the same jealousy of the scribes, Pharisees, and religious leaders during the time of Christ. They were jealous of Christ because they were drawing away their disciples from their lies and pride into truth. And and that made them furious. So that's what we see taking place in this context. Again, Acts 17, verse 5, but the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble. So this is where you'll do anything with anyone that ends justify the means. No matter how wicked, how corrupt, how twisted, to hold on to your pride, to hold on to your power, to hold on to your earthly life at all cost. That's what's being described here. That is the condition of the fallen heart, to do anything. Any means justify the end. When one is living for their earthly life in their pride and in their own power. They, again, verse 5, but the Jews were jealous, taking some wicked men of the rabble. They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring him out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, that's speaking of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting. And this is their main accusation against Christianity. These men who have turned the world upside down. There it is. Because their truths, the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word is in direct opposition to the lies of the devil and the lies of this fallen rule. So it is a turning upside down. It's a right side upping what had been twisted and turned through deception and evil. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar. Here's their main charge. Saying there is another king, Jesus. That's it. That's their main accusation. That's their main charge. That was the same charge brought against Jesus. Remember? They said that he claimed to be king. And what did the scribes, Pharisees, religious leaders shout? Before Pilate, there is no king but Caesar. It's the same wicked deception. How could they say that? Why would they say that? Because they're trying to save their earthly lives. 
They're living merely in their pride, their presumption, and in their flesh. That's why they would say that. That's why they would do that. To save their earthly life at all costs. But what's the problem with that? If you save your earthly life at all costs, you lose it eternally. The wages of sin is death. The consequences of that is God's holy just wrath, eternal conscious torment in hell. So that's the reality. That's what we see being spoken of here. So verse 8 of Acts 17, and the people of the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately, this is how they're torn away. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So that's the torn away that he's speaking of in their text. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So that's when they were torn away. That's the torn away that the Apostle Paul is speaking of in 1 Thessalonians 2, 17. Well, of course, they're in Berea for a short time, and there is conversion there, and there's a church formed. But by the time you get to Acts 17, 13, the Jews of Thessalonica were not content, merely causing a riot mob to try to destroy Paul there. They travel also. So Acts 17, 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowd. So now Paul has to flee again. That's verse 14. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. So this is what the Apostle Paul is referencing to in 1 Thessalonians 2.17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart. Now there's the vital connection of the Apostle and the people of God. Remember for Paul, his life is Christ. And everything that is his life is building up the body of Christ. So he longed to be with them. It grieved him that he couldn't be present to encourage, to to display the love of Christ, to, to share his life with them, to sacrifice his life on their behalf, to correct them and rebuke them and exhort them with patience and love. In the word of God, that was his life. That was his everything. And he was grieved that he couldn't do that. And that's what he speaks of again, verse 18. Verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 2. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. Now there's this great reality in Scripture of God's absolute sovereignty. He is all-powerful, almighty, and also human responsibility. Each and every one of us is held responsible for what we do. God's sovereignty, human responsibility. But we also see this reality of God's absolute sovereignty, yet Satan being held responsible for all of his lies and deceptions 
and wicked acts. And that's what we see the Apostle Paul speaking of here in verse 18, where he wanted again and again to go, but Satan hindered us. You see this again in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 5, where again he brings up the work of the devil, of Satan. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter, that's another name for Satan, had tempted you. So we see this real concern, this real warning, this depiction of the work of the devil in his evil. And the Apostle Paul, speaking of this hindrance, this hindrance, this this comes up a lot in Paul's letters. You see this is going to be brought up again in 2 Thessalonians. If you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we see again this theme is going to be brought up with the church in Thessalonica. 2 Thessalonians 3, starting at verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. So that's his prayer. That's his hope. Because the Apostle Paul kept getting hindered by wicked and evil men. Men, there's these hindrances and obstacles and and these in opposition to him and the gospel. And that's his prayer that the gospel would continue to go forward, that they would be delivered from wicked and evil men. But for the Apostle Paul, there was always a greater reality behind the evil and wicked men. And it was the devil. It was the demonic. That's that's what he's speaking of here that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Remember the Apostle Paul makes clear that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, against the devil and demonic. That's what he says in Ephesians. So first, if you look at Ephesians 2, we'll look at Ephesians 2, then Ephesians 6. But Ephesians 2 speaks of the condition of this fallen rule. Ephesians 2, verse 1. This is the condition we are all in before justification, before the Holy Spirit made us alive and gave us the gifts of repentance and faith. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's that's Satan. That's the devil again. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Again, the Apostle Paul speaks of this in Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10. That's where he encourages us to to be strong in the Lord, in the strength of the might of God. Because in and of ourselves, 
we are weak. So where is our strength? Where is our hope? Where is our peace? It is in Christ. It is in God through the indwelling and power of the Holy Spirit. So that's Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. This is a battle. We are in a battle. Every moment on this heaven and earth, in these bodies of flesh, we are in a battle. At all times. Again, verse 11, Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There it is again. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So you see what the Apostle Paul is doing. This is what he's doing in our text in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 3. And this is what he does throughout all his letters. The Apostle Paul is making clear that we are in a spiritual battle. That behind all the, the wicked men or evil men or these, th- these entities or people or institutions or groups that oppose Christ, there is a greater evil beyond them. And why that's so important is if we don't understand that, then it's easy to be deceived and think of earthly solutions to these earthly evils or human solutions to these human evils or that we think some person of some power or authority can be the one that brings an end to the evil. Only Christ. Only Christ. Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And the only one who wins the victory is Jesus Christ. So that's why our eyes have to be fixed on Christ and that we not get distracted and hindered and tripped up with earthly idols or solutions to these spiritual realities. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. It's vital importance for each and every one of us. We see the reality here. That's why we stand strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might, with our eyes fixed on Christ, our hearts fixed on Christ in all these things. It shouldn't surprise us because the devil is a liar and a murderer. That's what John 8 says. If you go to John 8 here, Christ gives one of the most detailed depictions of how it is that that Satan hinders and brings harm against the people of God. It's John 8, starting at verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. 
and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And he, there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's the reality. That's the reality of the prince of the power of the air, the cosmic powers of darkness, the spiritual forces of evil. The devil is a murderer. He is a liar. There is no truth in him. All he wants to do is kill, steal, and destroy through lies, murder, and deception. That's the way of this fallen world, and that's the way of the devil and demonic. So our only hope is Jesus Christ, is the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the victory in Jesus Christ. That's our only hope. There are no earthly solutions, earthly institutions, earthly political parties, earthly interest groups that bring about the victory of Jesus Christ. It is Christ alone, his victory alone. That's that's where our hearts must be. That's where our eyes must be. That is where we must be to be in the freedom and truth of Christ. Otherwise, we will become deceived. We will get tripped and hindered in the lies of this world. That's the vital reality. And that's what Jesus says, John 8, 45. Speaking of those who did not believe in him, But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. So Christ comes to set a people free. Christ comes to liberate the elect of every tribe, nation, language, to bring about the adoption of the children of God through his death on the cross. Remember on the cross, Jesus pays the full penalty of sin for those who would trust and believe in him. He satisfies the holy, just wrath of God so that for those who are in him, dwelling in him, in whom his spirit dwells, we're forgiven. We're justified. We've been redeemed. No more condemnation, no more wrath. We are loved by our heavenly father. That's the victory of Christ over our sin. But there's also the victory of Christ against the devil, against this fallen rule. That's what John speaks of in verse John 3. First John 3, it's that victory And that's where the Apostle Paul is seeking to fix the eyes and the hearts of the Christians in Thessalonica is on that victory of Christ. Lest they look for victory in this fallen rule. No, their victory is in Christ. Christ alone. That's what we find in 1 John 3, verse 8. Starting at verse 8. 1 John 3, starting at verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. This practicing of sinning is like being an apprentice where you're practicing, you're learning, you're being trained under. 
Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. There it is. Remember, to be saved, you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness, from the deception and tyranny of the devil, you are transferred into the glorious kingdom of Jesus Christ, in his love, in his light, in his truth. For this reason, the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Again, if you continue on in that same chapter, 1 John 3, go down to verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. That's what Jesus In his prayer to his heavenly father in John 17, he says the world will hate them. And he doesn't take us out of the world. But we are to be salt and light to overcome evil, not with evil, but to overcome evil with good, with truth, with giving our lives for Christ, with service To God. That's how we overcome evil. That's how Jesus overcame evil. How did Jesus win victory over the devil for all of God's children? He died on a cross. He became the sin bearer, the wrath satisfier. He was forsaken. That's how Jesus won the victory. So, how do we who are in Christ? Stand firm in the faith and win the victory. We, we pick up our cross. And we stand for the truth. We shine the light at all cost. Even if we lose everything of this earth. Because if you lose everything of this earth, you've lost nothing. If you have Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of what the Apostle Paul is saying. So again, 1 Thessalonians 2 Verse 18, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So that's what we looked at all those passages. That's how Satan continues to seek to hinder or to divide the people of God. But we see the vital importance of what unites the people of God. It's it's the word of God. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the truth of the gospel Starting at verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus? Now, wow, what a statement that is. So this is Paul. He's speaking of how dear the church is to him. How important these brothers and sisters in Christ, growing up in Christ, is to him. How important is that? How vital is that for the Apostle Paul? He says that is his hope, joy, and crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ. 
is that before Jesus Christ, Paul can say that he is innocent of the blood of all of them because he did everything to present the full counsel of God. He gave his life that they would know Christ, know his word. He gave us everything. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. What a beautiful depiction of how, how close, how united is the body of Christ. That we are to have such care, love, concern, that the growth of each and every one of us, for us to be growing up in Christ, is our joy, our hope, and our crown of boasting to stand before Christ. That's how vital the church of God, the people of God, is to be for the people of God. That's what we see portrayed here. So 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer... See, that's what it means to so love the people of God that to be absent from them, to, as Paul was, he was torn from them, that it's it's almost unbearable. Is that is so much who you are as a child of God in Christ that this is your family, this is your household, that these are the people that are closest to you of anyone else on the earth. That's what we see portrayed here. So 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 1, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, he couldn't take it anymore. We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. Now, what a title that is. Our brother and God's co-worker. What a statement that is. You know, that's, that's who we are as ministers of reconciliation. Living for Christ, presenting the gospel, building each other up in the word. We're, we're co-workers with God in that reality. How could there be a greater calling or desire or purpose to your life than that? And you could be a coworker of God in whatever profession or calling or area of life God has you in because wherever God has you, <laughs> there are Christians to be built up and there are fallen, dead in their sins, lost people that need to be saved. I mean, this, this is just reality. So wherever God places us and has us, this is the reality. So we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to, here's these key words Paul always used, to establish and exhort you in the faith. To establish, so to have you 
rooted and grounded to have a good foundation. Below the frost line, proper rebarb spacing, poured properly. This is a firm, solid foundation that will not collapse, that will withstand whatever comes against it. That's what he's saying here, to establish you. And what does that? The word of God. The word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what establishes us in the faith, in the truth, is the word of God through the power of the Spirit to establish and exhort. There is that warning, corrective teaching, that exhortation of the truth of God's word to establish and exhort you in your faith so that no one be moved. There it is. What's the opposite of being established in the faith? Moved, unanchored, unmoored, floating about, tossed about, blown about by every wind of doctrine, deception of the ruled and the devil. That's how we were before we were saved. Enough of that is what Paul's saying. In Christ, you're you're anchored, you're rooted, you're established in his word so that you no longer will be tossed about by every whim and wave and fad and deception and lie. No, the truth is your foundation. Christ is your foundation. Timothy was used for this task Again, 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 we we see also to the church in Corinth that Timothy was sent for the same purpose. If if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 17, we, we see where this, again, this is a role Timothy had in many different churches. 1 Corinthians 4, 17, this is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. To just keep reminding of the doctrines of the apostles, of the word of God, of the commands of Christ. Remember, remember, remember. That was Timothy's main purpose. He'd be sent to these churches to just keep reminding them of the truth. Why do they need so much reminder? (laughs) Because we are inundated every moment of every day by the lies and deceptions of the rule and the devil. That is where we are as pilgrims and sojourners. So we have to keep being reminded of the glorious gospel of Christ, of the truth of his word, of the commands of Christ every day throughout the day. Remember, remember, remember. Because we so easily forget. So that's the vital importance of this. This is the the vital importance of this. What is the main concern of Paul that could move them or could shake them or rattle them? It's suffering for Christ. 
true persecution, hatred of the world, affliction and tribulation for the name of Christ. That was his main concern in Thessalonica because the church in Thessalonica was experiencing such hatred from the world, such opposition to the truth. That's what Paul says here, starting at verse 3, that no one be moved by these afflictions. There it is. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. There it is. Remember, Paul says that the elect, that if you are saved, if the Holy Spirit comes and makes you alive, gives you the gifts of repentance and faith, if the righteousness of Christ is imputed to you, if you are redeemed, you get two things. And you can't have one without the other. And there are too many false teachers throughout the history of the visible church that peddle people the false reality that you can have one without the other. That's one of the main peddling of the false teachers. But there are two things you get. Number one, faith in Christ. The gift of faith. By God's grace and mercy in Christ alone, you give the gift of faith. What's the second thing you get? To suffer for Christ. To suffer. If you're given the gift of faith, you're given the gift of suffering for Christ. That is what it is to be a Christian. And that's what Paul is warning. And he keeps telling them that lest they be confused and deceived that they can both have Christ and the love of the world. That they can both have the things of Christ and all the desires of their fallen flesh according to the deceptions of this world. You can't have them both. One of those things leads to life and the other leads to death. One of those things is light and the other is darkness. You can't have both. Christ says you can't serve two masters. You will always love one and hate the other. So that's what Paul is speaking of here. Verse 3, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Verse 4 of 1 Thessalonians 3, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand. So this was a constant teaching. They just kept telling them this. Again and again and again and again. And now he's writing this letter to remind them again and again. So whenever this letter is read, they're reminded again and again and again. What is it? Verse four. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Just as it has come to pass, And just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent, so this is sending a Timothy, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow, now we're seeing the continued hindering work of Satan, somehow the tempter had tempted you in our labor would be in vain. 
Now, the Apostle Paul isn't the only one that has such concern and teaching. Well, Peter has a direct parallel passage. In 1 Peter 4 and 5, you see this direct parallel teaching. And I think it's helpful because both Peter and Paul understand the hindering, tempting, and destructive work of Satan. But again, Peter, like Paul, where is all his comfort, peace, hope, and strength is Christ alone. Nothing of this earth, nothing of man, it is Christ. So 1 Peter 4, verse 12. This is Peter teaching the same exact reality. 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. What Peter is teaching is the same thing Paul is teaching. Okay, you want to be glorified with Christ at his glorious return. That's your blessed hope. That's your longing. That's your desire. That's all for the return of Christ and be in his glory. Well, if that's true, then you will rejoice when you suffer for his name now. When you're afflicted, persecuted, imprisoned, tortured, martyred, you be rejoicing. That's the reality. That's what Peter is speaking of here. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. But here's the reality. Verse 19, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter makes a clear distinction. There are times that Christians suffer affliction and persecution, but it's because of their sin. You don't get any credit for that. You get what you deserve. That's what Peter says. You read 1 Peter 3, 4, and 5. No, it's when you suffer for Christ, when you suffer for what is true, when you suffer unjustly, that is when you're blessed. If we suffer because of our own pride or arrogance or, or sin, there's no blessing in that. But it's suffering for Christ, for his name, for his truth and his glory. That's why ultimately this calls us to humble ourselves continually. And that's 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5 verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. How? Firm in your faith. There it is. Firm in your faith. Faith in what? Faith in who? Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified. Not faith in any man. Not faith in any earthly institution. Not faith in any earthly cause or group or power. But faith in Jesus Christ. That is how you stand firm in the midst of the prowling of the devil. And what happens when we stand firm? As James says, if you stand firm in your faith in Christ, the devil flees from you. He has no power, no authority, no over one who's standing firm in Christ. Christ has won the victory. That's where our hope, that's where our peace, that's where our security is. So how does the tempter try to tempt? To take our eyes off of Christ and put them anywhere else. That's the tempting of the devil. And what is the solution that Paul and Peter gives us? (laughs) Fix your eyes, fix your heart, Fix your mind on Christ, on things above, not things below. Keep the gospel ever central in our thoughts, words, and actions. Because our victory is in Christ alone. Let us pray. Oh, Father, how wonderful you are. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ the King of kings, Lord of lords, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, our Redeemer, our elder brother. Oh, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us, help us, remind us in the midst of temptation to run to you, to remember your love and the promises in your gospel. In Christ's glorious name, amen. I invite you to please rise and sing with me number 431. And can it be that I should gain?
receive the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I invite you to close with me with the Gloria Patria. It was in the
beginning is now.